0: believe it. I got through. Greg, Brian, you're not going to believe what I found. Before you ask about how my family's doing, especially with respect to my youngest daughter, now I think about a month old, I should let you know that I'm wondering the same thing, in fact. And that's because I'm standing before an important discovery of great scientific and rhetorical interest. Somewhere deep in the heart of the whole rainforest on the peninsula, how I got here, nah, it's anybody's guess. I vaguely remember feeding my daughter formula from a bottle, half awake, half asleep, at some point near the dawn, and then I heard the siren song, carried across the angry sound, whispering secrets indecipherable but intoxicating, into my sleep-deprived ears. The next thing I knew, I was driving off the ferry in Kingston, and the sun had nearly risen. I was no longer in control, but moving by the force of some divine hand. And it's been like that for countless days and nights. As I hacked my way through the dense underbrush, phone battery nearly empty of charge, soaked by the cold rain, following the ancient hymn as though possessed. That is, until today, when I finally found the damn thing. It's some kind of gate, or maybe a tomb. I can't be sure. There's a strong, skunky odor. It seems to come from a gray fog seeping through the cracks. A dense moss has grown over the entrance, and it's taken me all day to clear the face of the stone to get a good look at this thing. So I'm going to tell you what I see. Uh, it looks like there's some kind of an inscription. It's like a book with strange glyphs, maybe a tome of spells or a forbidden history. There's something that looks like a brain, but it's completely smooth. It's attached to what looks like a frail, thin being who's using it as a chair or throne. Hmm. And at the center, there's this hole, but it's filled with darkness, the likes of which I have never seen before. Naturally, I wanted you to, my podcast co-hosts, dearer to me, than anything else on this planet, to be the first to know about what was happening and to be part of this historic moment with me. The moment when I open it. My God, it, it's full of definitions. I can't believe it, the power. It's amazing, just incredible. Dictionary upon dictionary. Definition upon definition. Enough rhetorical weaponry to smite all enemies on the battlefield of the discourse. With an old, strict, exacting language. Brimming with rigid terminology and usage. Here, in this prescriptivist paradise, words have meaning. They have meaning. It's... No. No, damn you. It can't be. Or power. The void. It's absence of all thought. What have I done? My God, my family, my co-hosts, please, forgive
1: me. Forgive
2: me. Because because we are where, I do it's I do it now, I think I
0: think I do it I do it now, I
1: To the Seattle Socks podcast, and uh, it's great hearing from. What is the
3: Seattle Sucks podcast? <sighs> the
1: podcast about the city we nope,
3: hate. That's not it. <laughs> that's, not, that's not Colin. Colin, seriously, we need you back. <laughs> it's uh, the podcast about hating the city we love. And uh, by the way, uh, you
1: know, uh, thanks for sending us that message, Colin. Um, sounds like things are going great out there. All right, so. We're back on the boat. And by boat, of course, I mean my house, which is a boat for the land. And it's me and Greg. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit later about Greg's feelings vis-a-vis McMuffins, because we haven't heard that enough, and uh, about various uh, conspiracy theories we might be harboring vis-a-vis the CHOP, SPD, and our mayor and police chief. Uh, But before we get to all that... We have a very good interview about uh, the Seattle Police Officers Guild getting kicked out of the NLK Labor Council fucking finally. Uh, we're interviewing uh, Anna Hackman and Whitney Kahn to have uh, people who helped organize for that. And uh, very uh, nice people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, this is
3: a really good interview. Um, enjoy. Here it is. Okay, hey. Uh, Everybody, we are here to talk about Spog getting shit-canned from the MLK Labor Council. Uh, We have with us uh, Anna Hackman and Whitney Kahn. Anna is a rank-and-file member of American Federation of Teachers Local 1789 and teaches in the Humanities program at Seattle Central College. Whitney Kahn is a shop steward with Seattle Education Association and is a special education paraeducator as well as a member of Seattle DSA. Both of them were involved in organizing to urge the uh MLK Labor Council to expel Spog. We have them here now to talk about that. Friends, comrades, what's what's going on with Spog? I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, why get rid of Spog? <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, good question. Um Yeah, you know, I think this question was really kind of emerging at this time of this larger uh, movement around these demands to defund SPD, to uh, redivert those funds towards community and social services, um, and to really kind of as like Angela Davis put it in her speech to the to the Oakland Longshoremen to really reimagine what policing and security can look like um and these kind of critical questions emerged about spog, the Seattle Police Officers Guild, and that their membership in the labor council and should they be part of the labor council, can we legitimately call them workers, and what are the roles of police in a in a um, in a capitalist state? And so, you know, I think where we were kind of coming from with this is that. <laughs> You know, if we want to look at police as workers in the context of uh, you know, they work for a wage and a pension, okay, but that's a, about where the similarities end. Like really what they are is that they're tools for protecting capital. They're tools for protecting a racial capitalist order. And yeah. in that and so they're the ones who are um they're agents of repression. They're the ones who are coming down on us when we're organizing. They're the I mean, we're seeing that right now in Capitol Hill. It's about to happen right now at CHOP and so when yeah. kind of coming from that perspective like you can't even uh they just have no place in our, in our movement and they have no place in in labor and no place in the labor council and so we thought it was important to um to get them out
1: yeah and i mean spog is this sort of like relatively new entry into the labor council right They're brought in 2014
4: mm-hmm. but and i, I mean i've never been in there in the first place
1: yeah and i think there's some interesting things that i'd like to ask you guys about so like in 2018 right when there was the vote on the spog contract you know, the NAACP NAACP, the community police commission, uh the ACLU, all you know, and many organizations said vote no on this contract. But the Labor Council like almost you you know, by itself basically was like, vote yes <laughs> on the spot contract, mm-hmm. right? You know. Um you know, they, uh, there was even an account of some of the Labor Council members like wearing Spog shirts for this contract vote that I mean just completely sh- threw in the fucking toilet <laughs> any what meager police reforms had happened in the previous eight years. And, you know, not even, a, you know, basically a year and a half later, the Labor Council is kicking Spog out of the Labor Council, right, and saying that, you know, uh a racist organization like the Spog can't, you know, share in the House of Labor. So What has happened in that interim, right, from cheering for the police, this awful police contract to kicking them out of the labor council?
4: I mean, it's the same thing that's happened across the country. This huge movement that's burst out has finally cracked the shell of all the powerful institutions in our country who, for iterations, you know, since 2012 of these uprisings have held the line and finally their wall is cracking. That's that's a sea change. It's not like the labor leaders have changed. These are the same uh, labor leadership of this council that decided to give Spog a community service award at their labor Oscars for like volunteer of the year.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Fucking cool, yeah, awesome, (laughs) awesome job, guys. Well, I think that is a that is like a super important thing as we as we're like looking around at this movement and the sort of small but material gains that are actually being made. It's sort of important to if we're going to stand here and say like yes action of the streets is working direct action is um making the system as you say like crack and at least some of these things get through you, to analyze that is important It's and like the dynamics that are going on i think what you said is very important whitney that this is the same people the same council the same leadership in there so it's not as if um yeah, it's not as if this is like some new personnel that have come in and have different politics. This is people who... emerge evidently... surge from below. This yeah, exactly. A... They're being forced
4: is the yeah, point, Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one thing to stress about the way that this happened really is like Anna and I, I think, do, have done really good organizing together, but we're also nothing special. And we, what all the folks who came together to make this rally happen, we had this big rally right while the um, meeting was going on, it was really this thing came together so quickly because it was already happening. Everyone we talked to when Anna and I bumped into each other, one of these protests, these things, these conversations were already happening. It was the movement bleeding into, you know, labor unions, which is Mm -hmm. honestly where things should like the labor unions could be so powerful leading the fight against racism. And instead for the past years, like you just outlined with Spog, sometimes they've been actively against it. The only ones calling for approving this horrific contract. Like, that's a betrayal of black and brown workers, right? Who are working.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so you guys are union teachers, as is Brian. Yep. Um, All right on. Maybe okay. uh, take us, maybe, you know, to dive into this then, we maybe need to ask uh, and maybe help our audience, uh, our listeners know, what the fuck is the MLK Labor Council? Does anyone want to take that?
4: <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do it quick, because I agreed to do this in- uh, beforehand, um, I mean, the LA- MLK Labor Council is a, um, is all the unions, all the labor unions uh, around uh, King County. They basically get together and they make decisions together. Now, a hundred years ago. It was called the Seattle Labor Council, and they led a general strike in this city. They yeah. shut things down for five days. They had a worker's control over all the necessary products and movement of things like milk and childcare and all sorts of things. It's fallen a long way since then, just as the labor movement has in general. Um, but that's basically what it is. It's just like a council of all the unions, which right now is not an organizing body, which I think it should be. It's right now doesn't stand on the right side for a lot of things and just um, uh, but that doesn't mean it's stuck in that way forever. I think, too,
2: that was kind of really our issue and sort of what um, mobilized us to kind of get this rally started, because I think like Whitney was saying, you know, um, we really kind of had a very small part in the grand scheme of things. You know, a lot of people were already doing a lot of work like, you know, AFT a lot of us were pushing our union to vote to expel, you know, um, high core. Uh, the HEA had circulated this petition calling on BIPOC, uh, educate, BIPOC union work- workers to um, sign to vote to expel. Um, you know, uh, the delegates were already ta- There was all this stuff happening. Um, but, you know, I think Whitney was making an important point that um, it's not an organizing body. And that's where we were running into a lot of issues as we were kind of trying to bring this together, because all of these different pockets were kind of trying to find their way in you know, it's like this really kind of heavy bureaucratic system that we're all trying to kind of find, make our little inroads in. How do we get in? How do we figure out the procedures? And um, in this time when we're having this upswell of youth in Capitol Hill who are getting tear gassed, who are getting, it's like, you know, we're really kind of tired of our labor council and of labor really in general being on the wrong side of history. So rather than trying to find a way in. Let's try to find a way to bring the MLK, the, the Labor Council, out to us and out to the movement and hold itself accountable to us. So if they're going to kind of do those same kind of backroom deals, they have to do it in front of us.
3: Yeah. Well, it seems like, uh, you know, you uh, when you mentioned the history of uh, the Seattle Labor Council, uh, the, the, you know, historic, world historic Seattle general strike. These are great things, uh, you know, as a model for union, uh, cross union solidarity, obviously, like makes a lot of sense in the in general, it seems like by what what we're saying here, the fact that you know they endorse the spog contract, also refused to endorse uh Shama swan and Sean Scott last time around who were critical. Largely of, because of their views on yeah. the police. Yeah,
4: yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah.
3: Very critical of um SPD and that contract in particular. Um so it seems like really what they have been at least for a long time is a device for sheepdogging Uh, union activism in this in this town right like taking what could be labor movement you know militancy and tamping it down conglomerating it into something that can be controlled by business interests so what my question then is like you mentioned both of you mentioned that it's not an organizing body um since we know what it is now what what is what do you mean by that what would it look like for it to become an organizing organization
4: well i mean I would say this debate isn't new, right? This is sort of the l- oldest debate in the labor movement. It goes all the way back to the first labor unions, which were largely segregated, dominated by um, you know skilled workers um, who said "Our the role of labor unions is to carve out a certain position for our members where they have a better life under capitalism. And sort of everyone else, meh, mm-hmm. we'll do the best we can. And then there's the more sort of socialist tradition, militant tradition, uh, industrial workers' position, like all of these folks that came in and said, "No, no, no! Unions need to fight for the whole working class. They need to fight on all the issues." And we're seeing that now in like Chicago, say, with the Caucus of Rank and File Educators Core, mm-hmm. which you know led strikes there, took over, said we're going to bargain for the. Common good. We're going to bring the community in with this. There's similar things as educators uh, all over the red state revolt, and here in Seattle, we've got um, in Highline the educators who started this position, this petition. They were part of what they call High Core. They were organized and were able to put forward that petition because they were organized. That helped to galvanize this upswell of people who wanted to do something but didn't have a way forward. And so what does it look like for it to be an organizing body? I think it looks like really taking on that, um, that strategy, which I think is not going to come from, uh, just trying to convince the existing leaders. I think they have their strategy largely, and it's not a uniform thing, but those that do, they have their more strategy based on Alliances with the police, alliances with corporate Democrats, alliances with the bosses to try to get a better deal. And it means a different strategy coming through and it's going to come up from below. And it's going to come up through movements like this and through people trying to use un- their unions as a tool to address the issues happening to them in our in our capitalist society. And that process has been the only process I've seen in history that can actually sort of have a certain a massive reforms or a political revolution within the labor movement to make it sort of the fighting movement that it needs to be and have a basis that our power doesn't come from being at the table. Our power comes from organizing the wider working class around those issues and having that power in the streets and in our workplaces and communities.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think that this is a really good example of when workers are strong, the the labor movement is strong. I mean, you know, the thing with the labor council is, like I said before, it was so bureaucracy heavy, that even a lot of the delegates that we were in contact with were having kind of a hard time kind of maneuvering, like what's going to happen? And how does this tabling thing work, like all of these little bits and pieces, which that's kind of what bureaucracies are designed to do, like they're kind of the antithesis of labor Mm -hmm. movement organizing. And what I think was really helped us is that we were already organizing as workers like you know uh, members of my union we were already talking and already kind of preparing because we're anticipating uh some real shit coming down the pike because of COVID-19 and the way that that's mm-hmm. restructured the conditions of our labor and high core was okay. already organizing and so We were all already kind of um, organized and mobilized as really as rank and file workers. A lot of us don't. um, We have a lot of affiliations, but a lot of us don't necessarily have a real like um, formal position in our unions, for example. But like Whitney said, you know, we're all kind of starting to think about how can we use our union as a tool to really kind of push? Because I think that's the only way that, you know, the entities like the MLK Labor Council is really going to change is that when we're organized from below, we can really kind of push them forward. And I think that that's at least partly what we did with this rally last Wednesday, too.
3: Yeah. Like, uh, you know, as we've mentioned, like the labor movement is not what it once was. Uh, you know, you mentioned the Labor Council position being sort of aligned with corporate Democrats. The The Democratic Party, since the 70s, sort of turned its back on labor, but they will continue to use labor and this sort of vague idea of uh, the labor movement and unions as sort of props. Um, and it's very we're seeing you now there's been a success here, with the MLK Labor Council. But, you know, when um, people around the country are talking about um, the sort of malignant force that is cop unions. And um, I'd like to hear from you guys, uh, you know, what is the. When but we're seeing pushback on that, like, well, guys, you know, these are unions we're talking about. The, everyone deserves uh representation, <laughs> collective bargaining, you know, and maybe some people are even saying, Well, guys, uh cops are uh are workers too. They're you know working class uh members of our community. Uh what you know you and the organizers working with you and other people on the uh in labor in this town who have successfully shit can spog from the council must have a concise uh rebuttal to that a reason like why why don't we have to look at spog and these um cop unions as uh as part of the labor movement and worthy of any consideration in that regard
4: well i don't know if i'd say worthy of any consideration um but (laughs) like anna said they they do have a paycheck And a lot of it, that's where the similarities end Um, in terms of what does it mean to be a worker? Working people, even if their politics are horrible right-wing politics, right? They produce things that is necessary, right? If we have 2,000 new educators, we'll have better education. If we have 2,000 new iron workers, we can get some Green New Deal infrastructure done, perhaps. If we have 2,000 new cops, what do we get? Do we get more food? Do we get more housing? Do we, we don't get anything for that. And so in that way, their only job fulfillment is um, for enforcing the status quo relationships we have in society and keeping those forcibly there. And so when you say, that, well, that's their job. How are you in solidarity with them as workers at their job when their job is to go and over police black and brown communities and terrorize them into mass incarceration? You know, I mean, h- how do you how do you do that and stand in solidarity with black and brown workers? Right. This is the Black Lives Matter movement. This is not the I hate cops movement, but you've got to pick a side. Mm-hmm. And I think on Wednesday, they picked their side. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah,
1: definitely. And I think, you know, it's it's one of those sort of important things to remember, too, that police unions really didn't come into vogue until the 60s. Right. And, you know, other things happening at the time sort of brought them into existence, which was the civil rights movement and a growing fear that there might be some sort of retribution for the crimes that the police were engaging in and were being highlighted across the country. And I mean, they really did come into existence to protect individual officers for brutalizing the working class. And at some point, you just have to say, uh, no, <laughs> you guys don't get to play. Yeah, <laughs> you they're know?
3: not organizing for the same thing. Yeah. You know, they That's may, right. exactly. they're not coll- collectively bargaining for the same thing that anyone else is. They're collectively uh, bargaining to avoid prosecution for uh Murdering murder yeah. i mean that's,
4: that's <laughs> yeah. basically, a basically people what. people
1: yeah yeah, yeah collectively fun. bargaining for the right to kill without consequence
4: um yeah which um, i've I so never heard it. of a nurse bargaining for that,
3: that
1: yeah no? exactly
3: no um,
1: um so i want to ask a real quick question though union related to you guys though since you know you guys are both teachers um you know it you know, I, I am in the AFT in Snohomish, but we, uh, uh, you know, we filled out all the the forms and the letters and had the push or whatever to kick Spog out you in know, the That's next awesome. county down. And uh, it is one of those things that as a teacher, right, you do have this weird relationship with the police through your students, right? Either the police are in your school, if you happen to be in a public school, like at the high school I teach at, or you know, the relationship your students have with the police just in their everyday lives. And um, I was just curious how that affected y'all talking to people in the AFT and the SEA.
2: Yeah, you know, I think the realities of mass incarceration are like very real to the um, students at Seattle Central in a very particular way. A lot of them have um, direct relationships with the youth jail on 12th, for example, right? Whether they've been incarcerated there themselves or know people who have, um, have been involved in the No New Youth Jail campaign, um, and have very real, um, real direct experience with policing and police brutality in their everyday lives, um, being pulled over, being, uh, held at gunpoint. Um, it's, uh, a very real fear and a very real level of violence from, uh, from police that they have to kind of deal with every single day. Um, and it's what brought many of those students out into Capitol Hill for 10 days in a row, getting tear gassed, getting hit with flashbangs, and just experiencing yeah. that violence on another level. Um, and it's also really, uh, Again, it's this isn't like a new thing. This is like 30 plus years of neoliberal austerity where, you know, police are like kind of like the one public institution that's been getting all this funding while things like their public education has been slowly retrenched for like in the in these kind of like fiscal starvation policies that have just taken away Um, really any real educational resource that they have. So they're dealing with this kind of dual thing of this reduction of funding for their education while at the same time being really quite literally funneled into the prison system through that very institution that's supposed to be educating them to the point that you almost can't even really tell the difference between a school and a prison. Mm
4: -hmm. I mean, in Seattle and a lot of these schools like we've got, it's not just uh, the students and what their relationship is. To the police, it's the students acting on this relationship and organizing some of these protests. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's educators following the lead of these students at Franklin High School. Um, it was the student body who met. And one of my coworkers who's a teacher there, she said, Hey, you know, this was right after George Floyd was killed. She said, What do you want to do? Do you want to have like a, a roundtable discussion or something? And they said, No, we're done talking. We want to go into the streets. We want to make something happen. And they organized a protest of over 500 people outside of Franklin to take Rainier Avenue. is super powerful. Um, and so educators in Seattle caught up. And we actually passed uh, a number of um, resolutions at our last um, union rep assembly where one of them said, uh, we're formally taking the stand. The cops need to be out of Seattle schools.
3: Yeah, right on. That's really important. I don't know if you, uh, the listeners at home and... Um, Anna and Whitney uh Brian has just uh published an article on the history of police and schools <laughs> on our blog mechanical dot website uh pretty thorough history and then uh he recorded a was that the one uh, on the last yeah it's the last <laughs> episode on the podcast feed is him reading that, that was a really article. good
4: article I learned a lot
1: Oh, great. I, thank you. Thank you. Uh,
4: I well, learned yeah. about what the origin of community policing was. <laughs> that it it ugh, was actually a way to put cops into the schools. Yeah. Oh, I it's real dark. That.
1: Yeah. It's don't, dark. Don't worry. They learned it from uh, Camp Pendleton uh, due to their experiences with um, uh, strategic hamlets in Vietnam. So,
4: Whereas today they send them to Israel to uh, oversee yep. the apartheid state there.
1: Well, I thought the real nice the really nice um sort of balance in the universe was the police uh, in order to develop the modern policing paradigm were you know going to Marines fresh out of Vietnam and like telling them like, oh how do you kill people in Vietnam because that's what we want to do in l a and then when uh the united states invaded iraq again in 2003 they actually brought in lapd swat officers and trainers to uh train the uh the marines and the us military mm-hmm. on how to like take uh, how to kick doors and how to make arrests and all that and i thought that was a nice sort of a you know snake eating its tail or i don't know yeah. i don't know what that uh, is the
3: word you're looking for Brian,
4: is Empire. <laughs> yeah. Right.
3: And
1: and it's us whole nice like, to see, you know, people coming
3: together. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> something like that.
4: You hear sort of a lot of times people are like, uh, they need more training, they need more training. But this is the sort of training they're getting. Do you really yeah. want them getting more of this? Yeah. And I think exactly. that's why defund has become a really powerful um, thing that people have put out there to say, no, we don't want more. It's not, yeah. you know, we want less. Exactly.
2: Yeah. The
3: defund, um, I think the defund uh, reinvest. Paradigm these demands I think are really great. I think it tells a story um you know one of the things Brian sort of details in that piece is talking about how, in addition to the overall police budget, the cops in the schools this is this I mean is mind blowing if you've never heard this before uh you know, because police they're out on the beat, they're sitting in their cars, they're doing their shit, but if you ask if anyone asks them including other city departments ask them to be anywhere specific or if they want to be anywhere specific they're taking that out of that budget. So all those SROs in Seattle schools are getting paid out of the Seattle. Yeah. It usually comes out of the school budget or the city budget, but it's a way to like you know covertly redirect yeah, funds so to the police. It's most, fucking amazing. I mean who knows how it is in the city, I don't know, but yeah, in a lot of cities it's taken out of the school system budget to pay those cops to be there. Um so that's more money in addition to sort of the other choices over time. That's hidden money that isn't represented in a police budget and is a chunk out of an education budget, um, that is going to the cops. That is just like, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's some
4: wild shit. And in Seattle, every dollar that goes to the police is hidden. Like if you've seen in past years, the, the budget, the city budget is about a thousand pages long. The, the, the huge portion that goes to the police, it was seven lines of text. And you can look at it from past budgets. Like it's seven lines of text just like east precinct 92 million dollars or whatever it is no mm-hmm. questioning no oversight no audit just blank checks being written year after year and i'm sure massive fraud up and down within that sort of black box of uh, of a budget
3: well fraud and just you know brutality mm-hmm. from the point of a credit card right like you know, they're spending on whatever they think their job is. And we know what that is, you know, Uh, let's talk about um, uh, the actual organizing effort here um, that uh, the two of you were involved in. And then what other people in the labor movement locally did to actually make obviously like we know, as we talked about, there was, there's this enormous wave of pressure sort of nationally um, in some ways that maybe made this sort of a low hanging fruit for the labor council. But, organizing happened on the ground to make, to actually make sure this happened. And we know uh, that both of you were involved in that. Um, so Anna, can you tell us about the specific things that you were involved in and then maybe, um, you guys can talk about like what was going on more generally?
2: Yeah. Um, so Originally, you know, a group of us within um, my union AFT, we were um, already kind of starting to talk and organize around uh, COVID-19 because, um, you know, these like really kind of massive changes to our working conditions. Like we knew that and uh, a lot of things were kind of coming down the pike from administration. And so we were really kind of starting to think about how can we build pressure as rank and file organizers to really move forward. And so when we started um, seeing the high core petition circulating you know, a lot of us started putting pressure on our union to vote to expel. Um, and like Whitney was saying earlier, there was like all of these little pockets kind of going on and um, of organizing already happening from all of these different camps. Um, and really what brought it all together was this movement, this Black Lives Matter movement and decriminalize Seattle and the people who started CHOP, who created the space that was just kind of bringing people together. So like, you know, even though you know, Whitney and I have organized together off and on for several years now, it was really, we were both at CHOP on the same day and ran into each other. So like we were pushing our union, High Corps had, you know, released that petition, Uh, you know, SEA, Whitney's union had just written this like great resolution, I think like the day before that we ran into each other. Um, And so we start talking about kind of all of these different pieces and decide that um, really what we need to do is we need to get all of these different people together in one space. And talk about how to move forward. Um, and so we decided it was the Sunday before, so it was like uh, to meet at Cal Anderson Park, so on June 14th, to prepare for this June 17th meeting. And, um, and like I was saying before, it was really about rather than try to find a way into the Labor Council, we need to find a way to bring the Labor Council out to us and really make this meeting public and really make it transparent. So we were kind of talking about all different types of ideas that we might do that. And we kind of finally settled on a rally um, and kind of open mic to uh, have people come to speak, to kind of share their experiences, uh, why we needed to kick Spog out, but to also share their experiences with um, with policing and kind of connecting what was happening with getting Spog out to the larger movement. Um, and so from there, uh, it was really kind of... Um, at least on my end was, and Whitney's end too, was a lot of the logistics of kind of keeping everyone in communication, kind of getting the space um, set up, the um, working out the sound, working kind of like what was like uh, technically possible with um, like all the tech and projectors and things that we were going to need um, and mobilizing, mobilizing our, our union members and everyone that we could to get out there and solid, not just um, to get Spog out to, But to really stand in solidarity with the demands of the movement to defund SPD, to redirect um, those funds towards community and social services, and to really force um, the Labor Council and really the labor movement as a whole to really decide which side of history it wants to be on this time. Does it want to continue doing this bureaucratic, like kind of pandering to corporate Democrats like it's been doing? Or does it want to stand on the side of the movement and on the side of Black and Brown and Indigenous lives? And yeah, and so then. That was the, and so, yeah, the rally was kind of our way of kind of bringing all of those things together,
3: awesome. Uh yeah, I mean, well, it sounds like you know it was effective. um do you, are you guys aware of what was happening inside any of the other unions in the council, like um how much organizing was going on like outside of teachers?
4: Um some of it I did not know that there was a big thing in snowholmish AFT, um yeah. for example, <laughs> um, but um, some of it we do know about, um, uh, and outside of educators, I think UFCW 21, who represents the um, uh, a lot of service workers. Um, there were um, uh, Wofsy AFs means like public um, uh, public sector workers generally. Everyone from the janitors to UW to um, a whole host of SEIU locals and stuff all end up voting in favor. I know that in Unite Here and other places, there were all these conversations just happening up and down the chain. At some places, they had votes, like what we had with resolutions, and others, it was just a big pressure campaign. Where I heard um, uh, from a you know from from a union that um, the president, who was in favor of it, uh, uh, of of UAW forty one twenty one, said like, he has too many emails; uh, you couldn't even get through it." Um, and I think that's really. Um, at the core of it. There were a few educators in Highline who kicked it off. There were other educators um, and other workers uh, and people from different socialist groups and what have you who helped to pull things together and say, hey, we should have a rally to organize it to be a beacon. And everything else was people just quickly trying to compare notes and trade language and just sort of have whatever push they could. And the whole thing was start to finish was i mean within two weeks everything had happened um and so it was a real whirlwind it wasn't like a systematic campaign it was a movement and it was the movement for black lives being expressed by people trying to use their unions to get something done
1: yeah i think you know one of the themes on this show you know the past few weeks has been that uh you know, what things have happened are because people are in the street, right? What yeah. things happen mm-hmm. is because the pressure is being put on in the street. And that even includes, you know, yeah, I mean, the same, as we said, the same people in the King, you know, uh, the MLKLC who were applauding Spog a year and a half ago are now kicking them out. That's only because of what happens in the streets, right? You know, I think that's a, a powerful sort of thing we have to sort of keep in mind. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. And these victories, these little individual victories like uh, kicking Spog out of the labor council are necessary to mo- maintain that momentum and to show, to show even people outside of the movement where the momentum is um, to show uh, everyone in the country and the community, in the country that uh, the, that, you know, things are going to change. Right. Uh, so hopefully this is, this, this is just one in a, you know, long list of small victories that will lead to, um, you know, firing, uh, half of SPD or more and, um, making them like register for life. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, um, well that's a whole other conversation. Um, uh, I mean, okay. If a
4: police so officer kills people or brutalizes them or is subject for hate crimes and stuff. Shouldn't they have to, I think they should have to be, you should have to, you should be able to know who in your neighborhood, um, mm-hmm. is a predator yeah, like right. that. Yeah, I I I completely
3: agree. Um, so this victory, again, we've said it several times. It's the same leadership in at um the council, um, who have been forced by um, you know, the constituent unions and the rank and file to um make this happen. You know, what does that look like for the future of the Labor Council? Like I, you know, we've seen Over the last few years, you know, long before this particular moment and movement, um, unions, particularly teachers unions around the country, getting more militant, people organizing within them to change leadership, like in L.A. and Chicago. Um, What is the what does this look like? Do you guys have you two heard of any plans anybody has to organize to change leadership at um, like like I'm part of the Labor Council? Do you think this is at least a. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I haven't heard anything specific about the labor council themselves and what they plan to do moving forward. Um, but I think that there is something like a conversation to be had about how we can kind of continue that work that we did on the ground and kind of keep that moving forward. Cause I, you know, I think that's kind of what, at least I think what Whitney and I came in, I think many others did too, came out with this is that what you can do when you really build that pressure from below and so some of the things that I know that we're kind of talking about are, you know, how do we continue to kind of mobilize our union members to, um, yeah, we got Spog out, but it doesn't end here, right? Like, how do we really kind of work in solidarity with the demands of the movement to defund SPD? How do we um, continue building, you know, we know a little bit about what some of the um, unions, other unions who voted to expel did, but we don't necessarily, are necessarily in contact with them. How do we build those connections? And um so I think uh, I think the only I, I don't know what the what the Labor Council is planning, but I think that there's a lot that we can do to kind of push them in the right direction if we don't lose this momentum. And if we if we keep working and working in solidarity with the with the movement, I think that there's a lot that we can do to push them in the right direction.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, I I'd just add, you know, uh, I think they're weak now. Uh <laughs> So it'd be cool uh, to uh, launch
4: some kind of um, challenge to whoever is on that council and uh, maybe uh, <laughs> find someone new. I, I, I would love that. I think it's going to have to be something that also, like you asked earlier, what is the Labor Council? It's a collection of unions. So what does it mean to have uh, a change in leadership in the Labor Council? I think it needs to be a change within the unions themselves, too. And I really yeah. hope that everybody who organized for this issue... Goes back to all your coworkers and is like, okay, let's talk. What should we do next? Um, how how do we keep this going? What do we want to change in our union? Because um, it's not just a direct line um, to the labor council. I think it really different movements can really lead the way. And you mentioned the educators, but there are others. And this big battle is coming in October and in November in Seattle, which is. I think the mayor, after delaying it, says she's going to release the budget proposal next week. And there are going to be cuts coming, right? Because unless they raise money uh, by taxing big corporations, which they're fighting against the tax Amazon thing or whatever, the rest is going to be cuts because of coronavirus. Does the cuts come from special education or from the special forces? Does it come from greenways or grenades? Like this is where the defund SPD by 50% and put that money into the things that Communities, especially communities of color, black and brown communities, but all working class communities need in order to be safe, healthy, and secure. Um, that's going to be a fight that every union again is going to have to say, "Which side are we on?" Because um, there's no neutral there, um, and uh, and that's something I would say. If people are looking for how to keep this going in their unions, and their union hasn't yet taken a stance on this demand, you're absolutely right. They're weak now, and we should do everything we can to use this moment that's built by this movement to try to push things as far as they can. Um, And I think the defund SPD and invest in communities is um, a really powerful demand because we're in a racial racist crisis, racist policing wrapped in a COVID crisis, um, which is going to come back, which is going to come very, very soon.
3: Yeah. And, you know, in all the ways that COVID plays into all this, the fact that there are that it's forcing budget questions on every uh, government in the country is going to be very real. And and this moment means the, there's no way not to have the, the conversation about cutting police budgets. I mean, that is, that's yeah. everyone, every mayor in the country, every County uh, board or executive or whatever, every state government, they're all going to have, they're all going to be asked the question mm-hmm. um, about cutting money out of the cop budgets. Um, uh, you know, uh, we' just trying to think of some final questions here um what about so you mentioned some of the unions that were that you knew were organizing um what did any uh what were the do you guys happen to remember the unions that uh did not vote to remove spog
4: um the big ones were uh many but not all of the building trades um and the machinists it was interesting the carpenters oh the
3: machinists how interesting Mm
4: -hmm. brian to be
3: fair the
1: machinists never let me into their union either (laughs) (laughs) okay all right
3: brian is a machinist he was never in a machinist union okay (laughs) we let him off the hook for this one go on but
4: that's another union that's really been on the retreat for a long time right they keep they keep making concessions and boeing keeps moving and i i just feel like I mean, here's the thing about labor and the strategy is that cozying up to your oppressors is a losing strategy. And yeah, I yeah.
1: am and used to be decently militant. And then, um, you know, just over the last 20 years, I mean, with the help of, say, the state and the form of the governor and stuff, I've uh, really broken their back. I mean, that's a whole interesting story.
4: Right, about, so. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I think that's the labor movement overall. But these links, I mean, already, like we're going to have a follow up meeting with everyone who is involved. Uh, on wednesday um but already people are talking about how how do we reach out to unions who voted the wrong way do we try to strengthen ties with all the unions that voted the right way how do we make how do we sort of grow and dig roots with this new anti-racist anti-capitalist you know labor left that's um that has the possibility here to be built um, because the more the conservative wing is very organized, right? They're very organized. They're in leadership all over the place. They got their strategy. They got their playbook. Um, but with a movement like this, um, the left has the ability to make inroads. And do we focus on um, our own unions? The unions have voted the right way, or the v- unions have voted the wrong way? With an understanding that eventually we're going to have to come for for all of it to try to you know unite the working class in a way that sees anti racism. And anti-sexism and anti-imperialism and anti-capitalism as things that are a um, vital interest to the working class.
2: I, I guess just to yeah add on to to what Whitney just said, um, you know, I think that there's this issue where we kind of see racism and capitalism as these kind of two separate things, but they're actually just inextricably linked together. And I think what, um, labor is really going to have to come to terms with that there is no real labor movement that isn't anti-racist, that isn't feminist. Um, it's just so, um, capitalism, capitalism has always relied on racism and heteropatriarchy in order to function, um, as like, you know, R.D.G. Kelly and Stuart Hall said they're the modalities through which classes live. So if we're not talking about a labor movement that is talking about um, the exploitation of black and brown lives, then, you know, we're not we're not doing enough. And so I think um, when it comes to that question of these, you know, these unions who voted to expel, I think the the kind of bigger question is, you know, how do we kind of shift how we understand what the labor movement can be to kind of bring it with the times and to bring it more aligned with Black Lives Matter, that's really showing us the way forward.
3: Yeah, amen. Amen to that. Well, Anna, Whitney, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Thank you for the work you're doing. Um, Shout out to all those uh, rank-and-file union members who uh, got out and made their voices heard about uh, kicking Spog to the curb uh, and to those unions that, in fact, voted to do so it's you know it's it's kind of a it's a relatively small symbolic thing but it's important because it shows um that this movement can challenge power and can move things uh and uh it's exciting so and it's like everything else it's something that on this podcast we've been uh talking about for uh, as long as we've had it why the fuck is spog even associated with the labor movement and isn't Um, it
4: such a beautiful thing people thought it would never ever happen and then this movement made it happen in two weeks flat yeah yeah exactly wonderful inspiring humbling thing
1: yeah everything is possible again right right exactly yeah yeah,
3: exactly that i mean it did seem even right when this started it was like Mm -hmm. oh you know, there's no way they'll ever get rid of Spog. I mean, oh, too it's powerful, great. It's great. too big,
4: Goliath, you can't do anything mm-hmm. about him.
3: Yeah. Yep. And now they're marginalized, and, and they know very clearly everyone hates them. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. not ambiguous anymore. Uh, <laughs> like, if they're, if they're, No cop in America can be confused anymore at this point, at least not in Seattle, where they've literally been kicked out of the labor. Can you imagine
4: that, like, the thing they did on that first day of the protest with the mourning badges? Let's assume that's true for a second. Imagine going to a protest where you know people are protesting that cops have killed people, and what you're deciding to wear is a badge about how cops have been killed by people.
3: Yeah, 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 no. I mean... (laughs) They're in their own planet, but they're getting a reality
4: check. And I don't right even now. think that's true, but you no, it's know, no. yeah,
0: yeah. I, I,
1: <laughs>
4: the, the thinnest lie ever told. They've been yeah. getting so flimsy. They don't. It's like they're not even trying right now.
3: Oh my god, these press conferences. We're gonna, yeah, Oops. you know, tune into the rest of this episode because we're gonna get into uh, uh, this fucking press conference. Let's yeah. oh just say like
1: fifty yeah. years police being allowed to say whatever they want and the press just dutifully repeating it has not done well for their ability to uh, cover their asses
4: yeah well let's hope that this is the beginning of unions coming out on the right side how beautiful it would have been if from day one the unions were out there in their colors showing that solidarity and support and making those protests bigger stronger and safer
3: yeah yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. all right right. thank you so much again for coming on uh anna hackman whitney khan uh, educators and rank and file uh union members uh here in seattle thank
4: you and uh yeah keep up the good work back at you yeah,
2: thank you for having us
4: see you out there thanks for having us all right and we're back
1: so uh once again thanks to uh anna hackman and whitney khan for uh, carving some time out to talk with us and uh no thanks to Spock. Fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eat shit. Yeah, eat shit, assholes. Fucking, what's his name? Mike Sloan? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mike Sullen. yeah, Sullivan, and, yeah and also Kevin Stocky and Ron Smith and Richard O'Neill. Fuck all of you. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck the whole bag. Eat our asses.
3: <laughs> Everyone
1: hates you. So, you know, um, we decided here for this last half of this, so we do a little uh, conspiracy grab bag because now that uh, Greg is living on my boat... Uh, this is all we do now. Uh, my my house is completely covered in yarn. It's just connecting pictures from the
3: newspaper. <laughs> yeah, we we're, we we. Well, several times we've been so close to cracking the code. <laughs> we've just we've been on the edge of it, up you know into the wee hours of the night, drinking uh you know Rainier and cherry cola mixed together. Mm-hmm. Just you know pacing back and forth. And then we look over, having to think we're about to piece it together, and Bryn's knitting a fucking sock out of our work, and it all just <laughs> evaporates in our minds.
1: So yeah, so um, we have a couple of things, just you know, just some some real odds and ends to share. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot
3: I, going on. Obviously, um, we can't really sum it all up, but um, we can sort of uh, touch in on some of the weirdest stuff here. Obviously, we we began to talk about some of it in mm-hmm. that interview um what's going on you know i mean i think the labor council thing is a big deal um uh but you know there's a lot of news yeah so strap on your tinfoil hat and let's
1: get started first off first on the docket greg who ordered the east priesting to be abandoned
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay so we talked about this before it's just more like info keeps coming out that basically is just the same thing which is uh no one no one <laughs> No one wants to claim responsibility. No one wants to claim responsibility, but more than that, um, it seems like uh there's just from multiple reports, people on Twitter, but other stuff, you know, we've been reading, like no one in the police department wants to uh say anything about uh who possibly ordered that or why or when. And uh it seems like it was really no one. Like um <coughs> People just – uh God, now it's so long ago since I read this. I forget who's reporting this was, but someone was saying, like, multiple sources in SPD have told them – shit, now I feel bad. Um I told them that, like, officers have said they were just, like, text threads, like your basic, like, coworker <laughs> text threads that were just like, I oh, don't know, man. Oh, I guess we're going to have to abandon the SPD. And the it seems like these just got out of hand because no one – no one anyone has talked to – has admitted to or produced any kind of order from command at any level. <laughs> it seems like. So the natural thing to conclude, and this makes perfect sense, um, is that they just fucking let it, let this rumor mill spiral. And because there is like ch- chain of command is like not real in a police department because mm-hmm. ultimately every officer is empowered to just do it every level like whatever <laughs> um and like spend money the budget's a black box within a few hours of this they had someone had hired a shredding truck and gotten like moving trucks and were making plans they were just like and this makes sense because they're they're in a like they think of themselves as being on a battlefield they're in a war mm-hmm. scenario and like this is it the shit's going down we need to make quick decisions we need to like get <laughs> trenches getting overrun Yeah, you know we need to like um, this is when you really show your command potential, you just get shit done. So everyone just started pitching in and enlisting the National Guard to unload the building, um, and leave. I liked
1: all these, that, these just absolute
3: dope National Guard recruits, So they're just like, uh, you guys, you're you're pack animals. One of the go things, and get that shit. this report, I mean, I read this like a week ago, and I really feel bad, I forget who was saying this, but that people were saying that on these text threads, like, just don't report to the East Precinct today, just go to these uh-huh. other places, you know, um, the funny thing then to come out of this after this is now the police department sent around a memo saying, like, guys, so uh, in the rush to abandon the East Precinct for no reason that no. no one will claim responsibility for, a lot of stuff was just, you know, haphazardly tossed into patrol cars. Um, we haven't really gotten a lot of that back. Um, <laughs> so if you could just, you know, look through, not just absolutely accusing no one of anything, because mm-hmm. you know what that gets you with a cop. Um you want to look through your patrol cars, um, just see if there's any equipment um, <laughs> that you could turn into these staging locations, which was like you know a parking space at one mm-hmm. of the other precincts. Um, hilarious. I mean, they just first of all, yeah, they've just lost half their shit, but yeah. uh, they've just kept yeah. that. Like, well, well, they just it was a wholesale theft by <laughs> the officers in SPD. Just stole there was just a ransacking of the precinct to just shred the documents and steal all the equipment. Yeah.
1: So, in 2004, when it was
3: like abundantly clear there was no weapons of mass destruction in
1: Iraq, there was this right wing rumor that the weapons had been ferried into Syria or Iran via uh, like the military just taking them. And instead of using them to defend themselves, just ferried them into these other countries. Uh, of course, setting up the next invasion. But uh, this is real. The CLPD literally just stole all their weapons.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so, well,
1: if you and go whatever to the else. LPD, Computers, officer, yeah, fucking,
3: yeah. Can't just who's fucking? Oh, you know, you know, there's an evidence locker in that fucking building.
1: You know. Oh, by the way, if you are on Offer Up and you happen to see somebody trying to unload a, a computer that probably has like a Blue Lives Matter sticker or something on it, buy that computer. Check the hard drive. Yes. <laughs> I don't know that they probably deleted anything on no, it. No,
3: they're too stupid. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. If you get like any computer device with a an SPD like inventory sticker on it, yeah, um, check it. You know. Check it. Um, find where it needs to go. Uh, it needs to go to somebody who can get into that data. Yeah, find a journalist. I'm sure you can find uh, one in the state
1: somewhere. All right. So uh, from, uh, I guess, uh, our our conclusion on who ordered the East Precinct to be abandoned, who knows? Uh, but now we get to something a little more serious, which was on Friday, there was a shooting at the shop where somebody lost their lives. Or yeah. Lost a life. And I... F- you know, I feel like a lot of our listeners probably know what happened, but we'll just, I'll give the quick rundown, which is, you know, there was an argument that escalated. Somebody shot someone, um, at which point uh, medics in the CHOP uh, got the person, immediately, you know, uh, started providing first aid. Uh, they called 911 and asked for an ambulance. Uh, the ambulance refused to go to the pre-agreed meeting location and refused to enter the CHOP because it was too dangerous, although apparently it was not too dangerous to be one block away uh, and waited. And, uh, in the meantime, while they were trying to get an ambulance, uh, they eventually figured out the ambulance just was not going to come. And so they loaded the person up in a truck and took them to Harborview themselves where the person later died. Uh, SPD then showed up 20 minutes after they left, uh, in riot gear. And, uh, ever since then, the official line from the mayor's office has been that, uh, because SPD couldn't, uh, you know, get it because they were met with anger when they showed up at the chop. That's why the person died. Forget that the
3: person had left. <laughs> you know, prior to that. Yeah, well, oh, listen, this was you. we watched so, this press conference today. Durkin and Best both came yeah. out there and said not only because the cops were met with aggressive crowds, yeah, but also because of that dastardly um, uh, tear gas legislation yeah. passed well, by the city council. Oh, lives could have been saved if it weren't for well, so those things.
1: This one, I think, is where's. The thing about the East Precinct was pure stupidity on SPD's part. This, I think, actually is a thing. So th- that ambulance the ambulance has gone to that tent, that medic's tent before, right? Yes. So they've
3: serviced the medic's tent they before. They also just went through. it. It's more than that. They the fire department yeah. just went through with the mm-hmm. the with people at the chest and made it happen that they completely rearranged the barricades. They dropped those yeah. big concrete uh barricades running lengthwise down the middle of the streets so that you can still be protected from oncoming drivers by getting to one side of them, but so fire engines and ambulances can drive anywhere Mm. in the chop. This is agreed and arranged. It should be mentioned that from the start of this, no one has wanted to have any fucking problem with the fire department. Yeah, Uh, They had an opportunity to not be fucking the uh, errand boys of the fucking cops in this uh, propaganda war here. They could have even taken off their fucking badges in (coughs) solidarity with people they're supposedly, you know, uh, paid to Mm -hmm. save. Um, But, yeah, that's not what happened, is it? So, yeah, so
1: the EMT. so this is the first part I want to get to, which is the EMTs waited about a block and a half away Uh, close enough that people from the CHOP actually found them and were
3: begging them to go some of the medics went over there explaining the situation to them, telling them Mm. the shooting is over, there's no gunmen left, there's just people dying over here, please come over here, we need your help. Yeah, and the EMTs wouldn't budge. Now, the
1: first question is, is given that the EMTs have gone there before and given their rather sort of flimsy excuse of we couldn't go is too dangerous, but apparently not so dangerous, we couldn't just sit in our ass a block
3: away, uh, who ordered them to sit there? Yeah. And my guess is
1: SPD. Yeah,
3: that would be my guess <laughs> as well. Now, what S- Chief Scoggins said today at the press conference was, mm-hmm. well, because it was a shooting, this is policy. He was asked if this is the policy by, or, you know, uh, because it's like, wait, this is something you got to think about. It So medics just won't go anywhere without permission of SPD mm-hmm. or before it's been cleared by them. Well, I guess he says because it was, you know, a shooting, a possibly dangerous, possibly Mm -hmm. active shooter situation, basically saying that the policy is not to uh, go into those kind of locations until they're cleared by uh, the police department. And like you said, this is total... Maybe this is the policy. Um, Like, that's really... uh, That's some weak shit. Because, like I said, they were a block away, Yeah. uh, chilling on Pike, Pike and Tenth. Uh, They were... Uh, and they were being told that there was no yeah. active shooting. Close yes, enough so that they could talk vi- to people in violence the Violence had yeah. happened at some point previously yeah. at this location. They were being told mm-hmm. that that was not going on. So the fact that those medics... I I mean, best case, those medics decided in that moment that they were weenies, that they were cowards, and that they would rather fall back on this po- mm. this subjective policy that they could lean on in this moment than go and save someone's life, in which case, fuck them. Yeah. Uh, uh, but there are other, yeah, there are other possibilities.
1: Yeah. And also, I mean, again, these were fire department medics, so the issue is, uh, apparently the official position of the fire department is, if it's dangerous, we don't go, in which case, why do we have a fire department? Yeah. But also, I, I, I think it gets this thing of, the police have been fighting this propaganda war around the chop now for two weeks, and uh, You know, I imagine for the police, they were just so excited to hear there was a shooting and just so excited to hold that ambulance back. Right. Because this was going to be the the weapon in the propaganda war they didn't get when they claimed the precinct was going to be burned down and it didn't happen. Right. And so they were just thrilled to get this and to, to let somebody die. Yeah. And to what? Yeah. And I think that's the point. Right. Is that. Obviously, if you hold an ambulance back after somebody has been shot, a very real consequence, an obvious consequence to even a child of that is that that person could die.
3: And SPD was okay with that. How does how do the paramedics know if they what they do in terms of their policy? They got on the radio, and yeah. they got to call SPD. SPD, we've been called to a shooting. Uh, is it safe for us to go in there? Yep. And they got an answer. And they got an answer from the people on the ground, and they got an answer from SPD. And you can bet SPD was telling them not to fucking go in there because they were getting they're being told by the people there. Yes, it's fine. Come in now, please. There's no gunman anymore, and someone's dying, yeah. but they were being told something else by somebody, yeah. and I think, um just close out
1: on the ambulance uh, in today's just absolutely surreal press conference. Um, they're all playing. You know, who's at fault for this person dying, right? And Scoggin's response, which I thought was absolutely cynical and disgusting, was to blame the actual medics in the chop, right? Who, by all accounts, were the only ones actually doing their job, right? Which was keeping this person alive. And who, you know, had a Herculean effort to try and keep this person alive. Drove, Drove
3: them to the hospital.
1: Yeah. Actually formed their own ambulance when the ambulance refused to do it, right? Um And Scoggins went on to claim, oh, I just don't think these people know what they're doing, et cetera, right? Basically, throwing it out there that, you know, it's the medics are the problem. Now, let's keep in mind that just recently, just a week ago, right, these exact same medics literally saved a woman's life who had been shot in the fucking chest by SPD. And uh, they were keeping her alive. yeah by a grenade and we're keeping her alive while SPD fired tear gas canisters into the
3: medics tent. Right? Well that that brings us to SPD <laughs> arriving on the scene. So yeah. <laughs> so they have said the initial um there's there's a lot of bullshit with this. The initial <laughs> timeline be surprised that they, SPD's story is full of holes. <laughs> it's it's absolute bullshit their initial timeline, you know, they ca- they've said casually everywhere the mayor, the chief, ev- other people in the SPD, oh well, we weren't allowed to get to the victims. Yeah. Again, in a sane world, you don't need to get to the victims. Yeah. What do you think is gonna? It's like that that fucking congressman or whoever it was saying, like, "Oh, what are you gonna do when there's a bear walking down the street when you can't yeah. call the cops?" It's like, dude, that you don't need. That's no, <laughs> no. <what's, laughs> what are they gonna do? Come shoot the bear. What were they gonna do? Come no. fucking launch. Uh, well, yeah, we know what they were gonna do because they, yeah, okay, they kept saying that they their timeline was bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um saying, like, their body cams clearly show that they oh. showed up 20 minutes after yeah, they, so, they were so, gone.
1: So their body cams, yeah, showed up that they, or showed that they were there 20 minutes after the time they claimed that they were there in yeah. their report, right? So they directly lied in the report. Yeah. Now, the funny part was, is that body cam footage was released by SPD, and when they released it, the entire thing was a little fuzzy, but most importantly, the time signature on it was made super fuzzy so you couldn't read it, mm-hmm. which is not how timestamps work on body cam footage. And actually, I think Spec put together a collage of yeah. body cam footage from the last five years, and then that one. And it's crisp, the timestamp is crystal clear in all of them because it's not like you're you're not videotaping the timestamp. It's you yeah. know you know it's done in post or whatever. Right, the timestamp they blurred out they intentionally blurred out the timestamp because they knew they lied about their arrival time and were covering it, right? So this is where it gets to the point of like, did SPD basically, I'm not saying that they shot this guy, but in response to hearing this, basically conspired to do everything they could to make sure they got
3: the worst possible result as part of, again, a propaganda yeah, they were campaign ready to do against that. the chop. So best case scenario, they were like, ah, someone's been shot in the chop. Let's take a half hour to put on our riot gear and yeah. show yeah. up with our guns drawn, demanding to be let through to get to the victims. I mean, which as just a human being, if you're dropped there, uh, you'd have to assume to kill them. Why, yeah. but, you know, like, um, but, uh, and, yeah, no, they weren't let through um, because they weren't needed. And yeah. uh, they had their guns drawn. But, listen, when, well, when this people, is...
1: Well, I think it's clear, too, is that people were angry when they showed up. And what they were angry about was that they were so late in showing up that the the medics had already left with the person who was shot long ago. And they were mad that the police was now just just getting around and getting down there, right? Yeah. And that the police's main job seemed to be roughing people up when they got down there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they're in their, you know, right gear but with the addition of their sidearms drawn yeah yeah um and you know this is a a spot where you know 2 weeks ago they were fucking gassing the whole neighborhood mm-hmm. um and like you said like they shot a woman in the chest with a gas grenade mm-hmm. who was then hauled back to the medic tent by these heroic medics who perform who performed CPR and like resuscitated yeah. her heart like three times yeah, yeah this she woman like died, died multiple
1: times yeah and was brought back uh, to life and, and the uh, same people that the fucking head of the fire department was up there blaming for this like and all
3: the, the while while this is going on they're trying to save this woman the cops are shooting fucking flashbangs and tear gas at them at the medic's tent okay this yeah. is on video like they are yeah Uh, they're trying to kill these people okay they were uh, that was an attempted murder okay yeah, yeah. And they... So, the I, this insane idea that um, the cops were, you know, to stand up there and say that they were there to help anybody is absolutely absurd, right? Yeah. But it's, uh, you have to buy into parody. this entire frame, and that's what this... You know, that's what they... They're waiting yeah. for this to happen uh, to to reinforce this frame that I think more and more people are, like, tuning out of and going, like, yeah. well, this is bullshit. Because... Yeah, you know, they want to stand up there. Amazingly, Carmen Best, like, yeah, you know, uh, the city council should really reconsider this Mm -hmm. ill-thought-out legislation to ban these things because a life could have been saved. And now all we have is uh, clubs and guns. And it's like multiple times she said that at a press conference going like, listen, we will shoot you because that's all that we have left, basically. And that's what they were, that's like... What they're saying, she said, and she actually, they were challenged on this, like, what could have happened, what would have been different if they still had access to the tear gas? And you said, well, we could have cleared those people out and helped those victims. And it's like, so you're, the scenario you're picturing is, you roll in, order a disperse, emergency dispersal, start tear gassing everybody, including the medics, trying to help those people, like you did before, shooting tear gas into those blow, cause absolute chaos and violence and that somehow that was gonna save those people on the blocks away on the on the street. Whereas we've seen like SP even with all those tactics, SPD's ability to control a situation that is mm-hmm. non-existent. They don't that that causes chaos and it doesn't give them control of the street. If they're not gonna feel safe to allow the medics in until everyone's flee the area, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. That's that's never happened once. Well what are we talking about?
1: An hour down the road? Yeah. So again this person's dead, right? Because yeah. the police wanted it to be that way.
3: Absolutely you know? fucking disgusting.
1: Uh it was some of the most cynical shit I've ever seen at one of these press conferences, which I say every time I watch one of the new ones, but I mean just astonishing in The other part of it, too, is this idea of police at the scene would have meant that uh, medical aid could have gotten there faster. And we actually know from history that's just not true, right? Yeah. Uh, in the case of Tamir Rice and Michael Brown, both cases, the police prevented actual uh, you know, uh, medical personnel from getting to the scene to ensure that they killed the person. Um, in the case of the shooting at the University of Washington at Trump's inauguration, which I happened to be right there, and fucking watched SPD's response when somebody gets shot. Uh, you know, the guy that was shot, when people tried to give him medical aid, SPD actually... Fucking shoved them out of the way, like they formed a you know sort of like riot squad wall when people tried to actually give aid to this guy and just left him bleeding on the fucking ground there in Red Square, right? When people asked SPD to call for an ambulance, they basically just stonewalled them, right? So, police don't give you medical aid. <laughs> I think that's lesson number one. Police aren't going to give you medical aid. So that's that's where the story begins to fall apart. Then we get into the line about when they were there, the line about the timestamps, and again this question of who told the ambulance not to show up, right? And that seems to be SPD as well. And it all kind of comes around to, you know, they played this little game, their entire press conference of, you know, who killed the, you know, how, why did this person die in the CHOP or whatever? Uh, Mayor Durkin said, uh, it's just tragic that the CHOP is taking another black life. I mean, one of the absolutely most disgusting moments of the thing. Uh, but SPD, stand up, take your spot, you know. Take, you worked hard to make sure that guy died, Take responsibility, you know. Take your credit, right? You did. You, you worked were, hard. You succeeded at something you wanted to succeed at. You should take your fucking credit for it. Yeah. You
3: know? uh, yeah. Absolutely incredible. Like. um So they got their PR fucking. Well, look, moment, I'm right. The PR know? is based on this this lazy idea, right? That oh, well, look, this, and they said it. Durkin said it. This is, you know, oh, this, the, all these this peaceful protest about for this noble goals are being tarnished by this violence that the chop is attracting. And it's like people pointed this out in the press. Someone asked a question about this. Um, but like there are shootings in this town, um, in other neighborhoods, uh, like you, uh, the, we have, we do have gun violence in America. Like cops are not, have not been a solution to that. Um, yeah, probably if this had happened on some other street corner, and the cops had responded in force mm-hmm. to like probably both the guys would have died okay yeah. cuz they really they there wouldn't have been any mm-hmm. chop medics to get them to a hospital well and there was to save one of their lives
1: yeah i mean i think maybe uh trying to push back on durkins actually letting the person die in the chop was the wokest thing we could do um, you know they said like look people are getting shot in south seattle you know like this week and you didn't care like you know you haven't had a press conference you will give a shit right like you know and and the, the cops didn't prevent that yeah and shooting yeah and the cops didn't prevent it and shootings go up despite di- south Seattle being heavily over policed yeah and shootings go up during the summer anyways which we already know mm. and Durkin's only response was well this is different because this was supposed to be a place of peace or some shit like that it's like you ordered tear gas to be
3: fired into that place of peace, right? I mean, like, yeah, look, the it's, fuck it's are you totally cynical, about? Like, but it's She can it's answer all that, and she can even spend an hour talking about how yeah. great the the BLM movement is, and blah blah mm-hmm. blah, and all these things we're doing. Oh yeah, we need to invest in community. You can do that because the media will run with the basic skeleton of this story. Oh, there's gun violence in the chop, and the cops aren't able to get in there and stop it from uh happening wait i don't know yeah, or yeah. something i guess
4: yeah
1: <laughs> well people on the right kept saying the if only there was a police precinct nearby and i was like uh if you get shot the police precinct is not where you go you go to a hospital and that's what the police had specifically prevented from happening um yeah so you know on this conspiracy yeah spd t- take your spot you you made you were a big part of making this happen so fuck you Alright, national conspiracies. <laughs> oh boy. All right. So this one's a real weird one. I, I can't take a side on it, but it, there's something real strange about it. But there's been reports the last basically since Juneteenth of in every city, major city in America apparently, it, wherever these protests are going on, of just fireworks going off all night, just spontaneously. Like
3: big, big like show fireworks.
1: Yeah, like just all night. <laughs> spontaneously everybody in america just decided to do this it's fucking weird i'm not saying it's a conspiracy <laughs> i'm just saying it's a very right strange now, coincidence all the,
3: i mean all i can get my hands on is like random fucking <laughs> screenshots of people's like facebook posts and on twitter reports of like yeah, yeah it's just these a ki- bunch of kids just have mortar shells like <laughs> yeah. that they're just lighting off at 3 a.m and that they're like, oh, some guy gave it to us. I mean, who knows if any? Of the, who knows what to believe? This. It's not. It's happening in Seattle, but not as much. Like New York seems yeah. to be a, an epicenter of it. Like it's just fucking madness in New York. Apparently every night now. Yeah. Um, but, and but other cities across the country. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird one. Um, you know,
1: I, I, I don't know what to make of it. Although I will say that. Uh, National organizations like the FBI and the CIA have a long history of engaging in very strange games to uh, try and disrupt and disorient left movements. Uh, this would not be the weirdest one by far. No. Uh, this would definitely be just middle of the
3: pack. Um, Look, and we're ready to like, put a real pin down on. A lot of other shit that's going on, being just the local cops wherever it's happening.
1: Speaking of the which, lynchings. There has been a rash of lynchings across America, like uh, real old timey. Yeah, not just shooting guys is, and waking a lynching, up in the morning in a fucking tree, finding black men dangling injuries yeah. which the police have all taken to just you know unilaterally universally declaring our suicides which now
3: amazing that you think now some of them have had to walk that back finally but like yeah. amazing you think you can get away with that like so yeah like I, i'm saying we're not going to investigate this because it's, it's a suicide
1: yeah five years ago uh the texas you know texas police officers killed sandra bland right this is not a fucking debate <laughs> yeah, fucking killed sandra bland they killed her one of two ways they either when the guy the police officer smashed her head into the fucking street so fucking hard, that killed her, and then they covered it up by hanging her in her cell. Or they hung her in her cell while she was still alive, killing her that way. And miraculously it became a suicide. And we had It's one of these great moments where we had a national discussion about how, you know, when the police tell you that there's a suicide in their custody, or better yet, if the Bureau of Prisons tells you that somebody committed suicide, that's homicide about 90% of the time. Like, suicide is the cop word for we just killed a guy. And, um, yeah, those people being lynched are being lynched by cops or cop-adjacent people, and I am positive of that. Oh, absolutely.
3: 100%. Look, I mean, that's – look, that's – and. Obviously, you know we don't need to tell anybody about the history of lynching in this country. Yeah, Um, you know it's never stopped in a way because I mean this is what we're this is what this movement is about is about black men just being killed in the street. Um, This is you know very out like this is a an older form coming back to say to strongly say this is about white supremacy by the murderers, whereas normally when the cops do their uh, you know, legal lynchings. Uh, you know that they are, n- you know, not by our justice system t- uh, found to be murders. No one's prosecuted for. Um, that's different. You know, they can mm-hmm. stand up say, "Well, I, I was, I felt afraid for my life. I had to do this." Um, this is this older form that people are someone's bringing back to say, "No, this is about this is about white supremacy. This is very specific wow. targeted killings. These uh, some of these." I don't know if all of them but I know a number of these people have been specifically involved identifiably yeah. in the protests and maybe all of them. Um of course other people have been murdered by other means. Again mm-hmm. we can you know call that a lynching uh, figuratively mm-hmm. as well um in other places people have been murdered. I mean this I mean fuck man we were we Yeah it's uh from the beginning we were saying this is going to happen and it's it's fucking horrible. It's and this is why you, this movement has to succeed in crushing the cops because if they're doing this now with the fucking national spotlight on them my god like they will not stop if this ends with the cops like still having power yeah the the rash of murders will be uncalculable but the point is this new this thing coming back actually finding black men hanging yeah um being done by cops how do you know well the thing is it they were always done by cops. The reason is yeah. like lynchings were able to just like be such an incredible rash. Wasn't this idea in the, that the way they were described and, you know, mythologized as like an angry mob that gets out of hand, but the reason, and then no one is prosecuted, no one, you know, and the, that the reason is because there were always cops present at these things doing them. Yeah. Uh, making them legitimate and then everyone agreeing to just not, the cops not talking about it. Again, we know like the, you know, the reason like, um, uh, you know, hate crimes legislation had to exist was to in this moment when the federal government was feeling forced to crack down on some of this was because in these Southern communities where people were getting murdered, uh, like this, it was the cops doing it, so the cops were not going to investigate it, so you had to send in... the FBI a a handful of times to make people feel like something was being done about this. (laughs) Usually to arrest their own
1: uh, agents, which is a funny story about the FBI and the Klan. But anyways, but the thing being is that, uh, yeah, I mean the Klan historically from its origins and the 1870s to the second rise and the progressive era was always cops were the backbone and the white professional class was the membership. Right. And like that has always been the Klan sort of thing. And just because they're probably not walking around in Klan robes now, it's the same group. They they didn't they didn't get those politics because they put the robes on. They put the robes on because they had those politics, yeah. right? And maybe the robes are passe now, and they're just wearing their blue lives matter t shirts while they do this shit. But let's be serious. It's fucking them. It's well, the I, I mean, yeah. come on. It was
3: the cops then. It was the, the cops, cops now. now. Yeah. Uh, all I, probably every single lynching in the in America, there were cops present. Oh yeah. Like, Absolutely 100%. Um, Now, again, now they're, for now, anyway, they're having to do it at night in secret with probably just five or six of them. Um, But Mm -hmm. so far, no one, you know, haven't heard anything about suspects or security camera footage of these crimes happening. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So that gets us, I wanted to
1: talk about those to bring us back to the fact that last night in the chop, there was another shooting where a van, apparently unmarked van, drove by and fired at the crowd uh, i don't know that they hit anybody it seems to be a little unclear
3: and drove off i think um, one per- yes one one person was hit it wasn't yeah a s- he, he was listed in critical condition at one point i think it was he was hit in the shoulder i did find out that out just before the show
1: and i think that this is this is part of what sort of policing does it forces you to ask these questions of who could it have been right? And I think we have three choices, right? It could be a random person, you know, engaging in the gun violence that we just have normalized in the United States, uh, partially through policing. Uh, could it be the police, <laughs> right? Uh, they didn't get enough juice off of the sh- you know shooting on Friday. So they came back and did another shooting when they knew they had a big press conference on Monday and we're going to empty the Chaz on Monday.
3: Uh, yeah, the built up frustration of the, ch- the East Precinct not burning down and mm-hmm. this, um, this thing the thing going wrong on saturday night or you know early saturday morning because it didn't occur to them that um the chasmedics would just take the people to the hospital before they got there yeah, yeah right now they lied about it but you know that didn't occur to them you know they thought well we can slow roll our ass over there mm-hmm. and then Get stopped by these people while these people are dying a block away. And then we'll be like, well, now they're saying that anyway, but there's a real fucking hole in that story. The
1: whole thing on Friday was a photo op that the medics doing their job fucked up by leaving.
3: The chop medics.
1: The chop medics, yeah.
3: No, not the medics. By just just saying, by just, you know, community coming together to try to save some people's lives. Didn't occur to the cops that that would happen. So who could
1: have shot, you know, who could have tried to shoot up the chop, right? Random person, police, or. Another one that I actually think is equally likely is these three, which is any one of the thousands of right wing freaks all over fucking Facebook who for two weeks have been talking about how they're going to go down and do mass shootings in the chop. Uh, And, you know, nobody seems to care or pay attention to any of this, even though we already had one of them attempt to do it. Um, So maybe it's one of those guys. Look, that's that's where we're at. All right. So that gets us to the next police grievance, which is. Well, conspiracy. Conspiracy. Yeah. But
3: this is a conspiracy of the working class against the police. To so deny
1: them of the, the wonderful sustenance that they le- need to live. And so there was a woman who... Well, first I mean, first this story is, is so broader, strange. This
3: is a broader phenomenon, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so oh. there was the Shake Shack guys, which actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. new details came about that, about that today. It just gets... Uh, look, there is... These stories all, get better. There, <laughs> Cops all over the country are going to fast food places and claiming to be poisoned or fucked with in one way or another. It's always... Bullshit. It's a lie. Um So the Shake Shack guys... At first it was like... Uh, nothing really happened. These guys just had some diarrhea or something. Turns out... It came out today. Actually, they didn't even drink them. They took like a sip, threw them away... And literally got vouchers for future milkshakes... And left. And then blew it up. Look, it's the same guy... God damn. They they just lie. <laughs> then the the, the oh. police unions need. Oh,
1: did you see that story? The guy, the cop who was like, all... uh McDonald's, the burger." Yeah, we do me a chicken sandwich, and they took a bite out of okay. it, and it turned out he bit out of the sandwich. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs>
3: yes. Yeah, no, that <laughs> yeah, is yeah. the story. That's the cover up yeah. that they want you to tell. But you got to think back through that. Okay, so the story was a guy he blew it up with his, you know, with his command and on Facebook. Mm. I was served this. They took a bite out of it. See, he had a picture of a bite out of it. Yeah, and then. It came out later than the poli- you know, the police department of the union like got it all over on Facebook, whatever, uh calling these people out. And then later the guy had to say, Oh, actually I forgot I did take a bite out of it. Does that make sense to you, Brian? <laughs> Does it make sense that he that a cop having uh, lied would go back on his life? Why? Why would he say that? Why would he go back on that? Well,
1: Greg, I He's think before fucking, you get into your theory He
3: what? We should tell the McMuffin story. No, hang on. Hang oh, on. No, no. They this it's simple. they he blew this shit up on Facebook, and just like the uh, the the you know the Starbucks cup with pig written on it, mm-hmm. it, he did it to like play the victim. He wanted to get these service workers in trouble mm-hmm. just for his own grievance gratification. It was a fucking lie from the beginning. He had to. Cover his ass and say he forgot he took a bite out of it when, in fact, he knew he took about it deliberately to lie because there's fucking cameras in a fucking fast food restaurant. So, when the you know the first thing, that's a really easy thing to see. Like, <laughs> is it a whole burger going in, getting yeah. wrapped, and being passed through the drive thru window? Yes, it is. Uh, and when confront, I'm sure when confronted with that, like he had to be like, Oh that's right. Fuck. I forgot. I took a bite and put it away for later. Bullshit. He was, it was just another fucking lie. Just like these guys at the fucking shake shack. It was just a fucking lie. Oh yeah. yeah. But what's funny about this is they've had this fucking persecution complex for years. And this is one of the ways they've manifested it. But now as people are turning against them, uh, they're really hopped up on it. And that compounded with all the previous lies that are spread throughout com- police communities. Mm-hmm. They're all convinced of this because they all keep lying about it. And now they're like, Holy shit. Everyone does hate me. So this woman, you mm-hmm. probably all seen the video. I only want to bring it up. Every funny fucking talked about this. Cause it's so funny. I only bring it up because I swear to God, similar to the, the, the bite out of the cheeseburger, but actually more so everyone has gotten this video wrong. Okay. <laughs> and it, It's simultaneously less stupid. Real quickly, the McMuffin
1: cop ordered her egg McMuffin. They told her, "Oh shit, it's uh, you know, it's taking a little longer. Go because she ordered it
3: online. Yeah, she made a point of saying in the video (laughs) she's in her she's doing a car video where she's teary. She's getting teary because she's like, I paid ahead. I paid ahead online because yeah. I don't like when people buy my shit for me. Yeah, fucker. Which all is just right there. Fucker. You're like, oh, so your normal life experience so is much already. police. <laughs> so that like the the disconnect these people have. Like you have a profession where, in fact, for years people yeah. have just if you don't pay for shit before you get there, yeah. someone in the drive through line will literally be like, oh, I'll pay for the cop yeah. behind me. Okay, that's a or the now, store feels forced to comp
1: you. Kind right. of like when a large Italian man in the 1950s used to come to your store, yeah. you were right. forced to
3: comp them, right. you know, for threat. Like the guy <laughs> oh, they killed in, was it Kentucky? Um, mm-hmm. no, oh, the barbecue guy. The yeah, barbecue yeah. guy who right, yeah. had to sign up, cop seat for free, right? And he got killed. But he probably he had to do that because you have to keep good relations with the cops, yep. right? So this is one thing businesses are forced to do, give away free food. So that's the world this woman's actually operating in, okay? But she's like, I paid ahead because, you know, I don't like to do that. Okay, good for you. And she says she then you know she gets up there. They didn't have her order ready, so to keep the line moving, this is the thing yeah. that's always yeah, everybody, do. everybody knows. How she this pulled works. over, yeah. uh, and she had to wait for her food. And this is where people get confused. People think what she's saying is, "I pulled over," and she thinks people think she's butt hurt about mm. not getting her food in time. People think she's butt hurt about having to pull over to the side and wait, mm-hmm. which again happens all the time. People think she's. Then gets paranoid, like they're taking so long to make my food. Is it because they're like pooping in it or something? And <laughs> this are. is all very stupid. Here's the thing I'm here to tell you it's actually not that dumb. She's actually not that stupid, but it's actually better. Okay. Mm-hmm. She doesn't believe in it. That's not her complaint. She's just laying out the circumstances mm-hmm. and telling you she only, she actually is telling you that she paid for it just to emphasize how big a choice it was for her to leave without getting the food. Because what she does in the end is she's freaking out, saying, I had to just leave because I was overwhelmed with this fear that they were doing something to my food. And the issue was not the time. she wasn't because of the time. Yeah, yeah, It wasn't because she was taken out of the line because she had to wait. no, no. She's just overwhelmed with this fear that because, but she was ready to face that. That morning, getting off a long shift, she wanted her egg McMuffin before she went home. So she was ready to just, like, go and get it, eat her food, and be gone. But having been made to wait, Mm -hmm. sit there, looking at the restaurant, looking at the line of cars, the anxiety grew inside her. To the point, to having to sit with it, just, it overwhelmed her that she was just too terrified that her food was being poisoned. Mm -hmm. Not not because, it was not the evidence of having to pull off to the side. She was just overwhelmed with fear because she has now internalized falsely that work that service workers are pooping in cops food, but correctly that she is utterly despised by all of society. And she's having, she had to sit with that for a minute and it got to her and she left without getting the food she paid for and went and cried into a Facebook post. Yeah. yeah, That's what happened in that video. Okay.
1: Now I will say, um, there is uh, a very famous uh, restaurant in San Antonio that cops eat at a lot, and I won't say the name of it. Uh, but I, my brother worked there, and I know other people work there. And uh, they, this is back in the 90s, even. They were saying, uh, yeah, every time a cop shows up, the wait staff makes sure to mark it on the ticket. That's for the police. And yeah, uh, let me tell you guys, if you're paranoid that they're doing stuff <laughs> to your food, they are. <laughs> I got news for you they are <laughs> yeah but it's not something you've eaten a lot of spit a lot of ball hair yeah a lot of yeah like yeah. finger and ass i'm sure a cop's like... diet is like 40 percent spit basically
3: yeah. which is like but they have to make up these fucking lies because oh, they yeah. can't catch anyone on this oh yeah because you know? if you spit on a, like and somebody see
1: a taco or whatever they can't fucking tell and like yeah. <laughs> the right time he gets out the table they don't know the difference yeah oh, i probably should That's not gonna make it. them sick <laughs> yeah so you know um right now yeah, and I think that what needs to be we need to turn their fear into reality, though. Yeah, that's and, it's good. Uh, yeah, it's getting
3: through to them. They are, uh, they are understand. They're terrified to go out in public in their uniforms in a lot be. of cities, and they unless be. they're in a phalanx.
1: Yeah, this should be. I mean, uh, this should be like walking around in your like Nazi uniform and you know like nineteen eighties or so, you know like
3: people should throw. It rotten should fruit be at you. the scene in the blues brothers when the yeah. illinois nazis are marching the cops are holding back the crowd protecting yeah, yeah, the yeah. nazis the illinois nazis marching through with the cops holding back a crowd that is just baying just mm-hmm. frothing tossing things at them screaming at them of just a bunch of like random um like suburban illinois yeah. white people just screaming at Uh, the Illinois Nazis. um, That is how it should be every time a cop walks outside. Yeah, I remember when, um, this is probably in the, around the
1: Jasper. Anyways, this is in like the early to mid 90s. uh, The Ku Klux Klan did a little fucking rally in San Antonio. Not a normal thing and um <laughs> everybody in town basically went down it was everything that they could throw they were just chucking at these fucking clan members and I saw the next day like in the paper the funny like list of things that like were thrown. like they gave like a like an itemized list of items thrown at the clan which was everything from your know, batteries bricks rocks to a watch <laughs> like, so they, like literally threw everything and it looked like the wrist was like fuck it <laughs> the fucking watch so he ran them. out of mm-hmm. ammo yeah and i mean when people talk about like what happened to the clan like no law enforcement got rid of the clan like what got really the Klan was every time they went out in those robes people threw shit at them and uh, the police should have the same fucking experience right well here's the thing <laughs> you know
3: the, the clan just marched someone the clan just did a march in georgia i think it've yeah. actually become more is, acceptable in the well, last because 20 years but people should think about that it's that uh, but also the yeah. cops mm-hmm. are the t- time has passed such that the cops are now they totally understand their role and are mm. totally covered in by uh, you know the powers that fund them and by the media to protect right-wing yeah. mobs like that so they will stand there in full riot gear and protect and fuck mm-hmm. with counter protesters who are trying to uh uh yell at or throw shit at any mm. right-wing uh group including the clan and the cops uh yeah. protected them in georgia of course yeah. um and you know, if you'd th- thrown anything at him, you'd got a fucking wall of fucking cops coming at you beating the shit out of you. Yeah, well, this is my point of uh, why when you start throwing the things at the police instead,
1: right? So this begins with spitting in their food. <laughs> Parody. <laughs> yeah, look, if
3: they, want, and, uh, if they want to back up the clan when they march, yeah. That's fine. Just compress them into one march. There you cops go. and clan hand in hand and just, you, you know, just do this. like the old days. Give them all the same treatment.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, so good to all our fast food workers out there doing the Lord's work. Uh, don't make this a paranoid dream for the cops. Make it reality. <laughs> like
3: look they they already believe it so yeah it's all good
1: yeah they already think you're they're you're fucking with their food they're already blaming you for it so you might as well you know uh get out there and do the deed but uh parody so anyways uh i've i've learned that we can say that because we have a lawyer and she's okay at it so <laughs> <laughs> right
3: okay all right, this well. is probably gonna be a long one thanks for listening everybody yeah, yeah thanks it, for Brian? saying
1: uh yeah i was just gonna say uh thanks to call wherever you are um you know hopefully on your we'll, vision quest yeah out there. <laughs> hopefully we get another message from him as he reaches the you know top of the mountain um